What is it? Well, we're looking for... Well, we're looking for... Now, 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 don't tell me that you're looking for a leopard. How did you know that? Uh, huh? Know what? That we're looking for a leopard. Uh, now, look here. This has gone far enough. There are no leopards in the state of... Can I... Can I... And today we are talking about classy, classic comedies. Yes. Uh, we have uh, four movies that we kind of watch that were all sort of in a similar vein. And um, these, I believe all four of these are films that you've seen for the first time. Yes, all, all four of them were. Yeah. But they were all amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just, for this one, just go like right down the list. Okay. And just kind of yeah. talk about them. But um, I guess like before we get into this... Uh, uh, do you kind of have like a relationship with like this kind of a genre? Like, like, you know, I mean, obviously we all know romantic comedies, mm -hmm. but a lot of people don't really know past their own generation of romantic comedies. Yeah. So it's like, like, I don't know what's going on right now yeah. in romantic comedies at all. Like <laughs> I, I know that it's happening on Netflix. Yeah. I know it's happening on Amazon. Yeah. But I don't really, I don't watch any of them. I don't know them. I mean, I know a little bit about the, the kind of new line of generation of yeah. kind of like, romance films because well the ones i know because those are the similar ones i grew up with like you know how there was like breakfast club and some kind of wonderful and pretty and pink and all yeah. those were sort of they were teen yeah kind of but they were also teen rom-coms so yeah. they were kind of like romantic companies as well a lot of yeah. them were um at least they can so they fit in both genres to me yeah um, so some of the ones that I know now more recently is like to all the boys and, yeah. you know, and the kissing booth and all those. Yeah. So I know about those because yeah. those are the more recent ones that I've seen. Yeah. And I guess like the ones like what we just watched would eventually become for our generation and for the movies that I know that I had seen growing up. They were kind of these films for these periods were like the Nicholas Sparks movies. Oh, wow. Well. You know, like, you know, things like, uh, or, you know, not even necessarily Nicholas Sparks movies, but, you know, movies that kind of fit into that, that same kind of release pattern with stuff like, what was it, uh, the one Matthew McConaughey, uh, uh, Oh, like, uh, uh, How to Lose a Guy How in... How to Lose a Guy in 10 yeah, Days. Yeah, 10 Days and The Wedding Planner. The Wedding Planner. Yes. Um, uh, Which, uh, those are around the same... Was it Ghosts of Girlfriends Past? Yes. You know, like, movies like that. Th those were all yes. the movies that kind of fit into this, where it's romantic screwball comedies yes. into romantic comedies yes and those are the ones so that's funny that you said that because those do fit into that genre also i was also thinking about the things that we watched some of the things we watched recently uh -huh. when we watched like she's all that yeah yeah <laughs> and kind of definitely. 10 things i hate yeah. about you some of those those are like the teen rom-com so yeah. because i brought up kissing booth and to yeah. all the boys i decided to bring up those as well yeah <laughs> and like and i i definitely think that like that's one of the interesting things is that when you look at this genre as it went on, 
your central characters for the most part started to get younger and younger Mm -hmm. and started to cater more and more to that teen audience. Yes. Whereas like, you know, if you look back at, I remember when I was very young, the big movies in the theaters were things like that would have fit into this were things like you've got mail. Sleepless in Seattle. Movies, you know, uh, When Harry Met Sally. Yes. All of those movies are very much cut from the same cloth as all of the films that we're about to talk about. Yes. I don't even know who... The last movie kind of in that vein that I remember coming out was... uh, And I'm sure that I'm forgetting quite a few, but the last one that I really remember was uh, Friends with Benefits. Whoa, really? That was like the last, last one? That was the last one that I can remember. They got a major release that was a conversation that was, you know, part of like the the culture, Mm -hmm. but was like essentially a romantic screwball comedy. Yeah. And what happens in Vegas was along the lines of What happens in Vegas? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Yes. That was with friends with Benefits. That was along that line too. Yeah. No strings attached. No I think, strings where attached. It was the same time. Yes, yep. those were around the same time. And so, like, that's kind of the last time that I really remember movies like this being released in any kind of a major way. We saw one that sort of tried it recently. Yeah. With the Lost City, the Sandra Bullock yes. Channing Tatum movie. Yes. I I very much admire that movie's intent, and I was surprised <laughs> at the fact that I laughed a lot during that movie. Yeah. Because it was so silly. It was very silly, but I will say that I also saw this year another movie that kind of should have fit into that category with to to a degree. It should have fit more into the category of raunchy comedy with something like Superbad. Yeah. But I saw that Jennifer Lawrence movie this year, uh, No Hard Feelings, where it's oh. her with this kid who's in high school, and it's the 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 whole movie is. There wasn't really anything in there that, that made me laugh, per yeah. se. But it was definitely an, an interesting case study in this is what happens when you make a comedy that is trying very hard to please everybody yeah. and not step on anybody's toes. Yeah. So it becomes its own thing mm-hmm. when it really should have been a very funny you know, like kind of raunchy romantic comedy. Yeah, and this is the one I want to show you because this is along the more recent lines. We watched too. that one together. Get, you a, get job. a job. Yeah, that was the, the, this weird movie that really doesn't work except for this one scene of Brian Cranston. Yes, there's this brilliant, beautiful yeah. scene where Brian Cranston sits yes. down with Miles Teller and delivers this monologue about yep. bro, about like you know getting into adult life yes. that is brilliant the rest of the movie is just i don't know what happened yes yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a little lackluster but it's yeah. still around that same you're right yeah. it tried to do around the same things that we're talking about as well as the spectacular now i love that film yeah. but of course that came out and that was kind of way a, before a, then a really melancholy drama oh yeah it definitely was but there was another one with miles teller that we worked together that i that we watched together that i think worked here also um that one with him and annalee tipton where it's they get stuck in like an apartment together. Yeah, it was like a, um, I think like a one night. It's called one night stand. One night stand. That was it. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was about to say one. it was a one night stand. <laughs> <laughs> that one actually, I think, could potentially kind of work too. Yes, the same. as well as the one that we're about to actually say talk about too. That had the Anna Tempton her her in there. Uh, Crazy stupid love. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all of those are around that same yeah. genre. Like it has those same kind of little. Yeah funny little quips to them i i agree and then like you know but for the most part it seems like this aspect of which i think really 
kind of sucks is that when these movies originally came out, they weren't, they were just films to go see, you know, they were, they were the pictures. Yeah. And these, all of the movies we're talking about are movies that were more or less a pictures. These were the, you know, a lot of people don't really realize when you talk about a pictures and B pictures, B pictures does not mean Sharknado. (laughs) <laughs> That's not what that means. Even though now everybody talks about something like Sharknado, and they're like, oh, it's like this B movie. Uh, that's more like C. It, it, that's more like a Z-grade <laughs> film, if you ask me. But like, but like a lot of people don't really realize that B movies in reality were like film noir. Yeah. They, they were movies like uh, uh, one that I know you love that is done by somebody who, you know, we're going to talk about. Uh, movies like Sunset Boulevard. Not Sunset Boulevard exactly. I was about to say. Sunset Boulevard was an A picture. I thought you were going to say like Some Like a Hot or something like that. Some Like a Hot was also an A picture. Okay, that was an A picture. Most of okay. Billy Wilder's works were A pictures. <laughs> but something in the vein. Actually, a really good example of a B picture in a movie that you've seen before was like The Naked Kiss. The Sam oh, Fuller movie. That's yes. a good example of a B picture. Okay. What would happen is you would go and you would sit down and like, obviously this wouldn't really happen unless you're at a revival house, what I'm about to say. Yeah. You would go and sit down in a movie like Bringing Up Baby and then when Bringing Up Baby ends, that's your A picture. That's your big movie that has like a good romantic kind of like, you know, through leading line. Leading man and good, leading woman. Yeah. Good, uh, a star caliber leading man and leading woman. Yes. You sat down in the theater, and this was not like you bought a ticket for the 4.30 show. No, this was we show up at the theater, and we just go two tickets. Yeah. And we pay our, like, 40 cents for our two (laughs) tickets. And then you go to the popcorn counter. Which is now $40. (laughs) Which is now, like, $40. And you go to, like, the concession stand, and you get, like, a soda and some popcorn and... Some, like, actual candy. Yeah. Like, stuff that was made there. Yeah. And you get all that for, like, a dollar, maybe. (laughs) More like a nickel. Yes. And then you went and you sat down, and the movie was just playing. Mm -hmm. And it just played all day. These movies just played all day. Yeah. Your A picture would be something like Bringing Up Baby. Mm -hmm. Before that, you would have newsreels. And you would sometimes have a cartoon. Mm -hmm. You'd have Bringing Up Baby play. That's your A picture. Then you have some more cartoons, maybe another newsreel. And then you have your B picture, which would be something like Naked Kiss. Yes. It would be kind of a weird, kind of like, why the hell are we watching this sort of movie? (laughs) And that was usually not really necessarily any kind of star caliber. Yeah. Another good example of a movie that was released uh, mostly as a B picture was Night of the Hunter. Oh, Night of the Hunter was a B movie? Here's one of these movies that you go and you see, and it's like... Okay, you know Robert Mitchum, so that's why you're going to sit through it. Yeah. But you're like, Charles Lawton directed this movie, and like, what is this? So was the last picture show like that, too? No, last picture show, by the time that came out, you didn't really have a picture, B picture anymore. Because that is also Peter Bogdanovich, that's like the, you know, the film brats that's coming out against, like, you know, Mean Streets, you know, all of a sudden. So now you don't really necessarily have A pictures and B pictures. Instead, you have Roger Corman double features. You have experiences like Grindhouse now. Yes. Where it's like your B picture isn't a B picture. It's just the second half of your double bill. Yeah, you're right. And even that is very limited. That doesn't happen often. I mean, now it never happens. No, no. Like, unless you go to a revival house. Yes. That is doing something. Or if you go to a Fathom Events that's doing, like, 
oh, we're doing all three Lord of the Rings yes. back to or back Or like in a Friday day. the 13th yeah. or something like Which, that. Which, if they ever did like all the Friday movies, I might show up for that. Yeah, but I might too. They, they never do anything that cool. No. <laughs> I mean, I think one time we went to one, but they saw maybe we saw like one, two, and then like it led to the new one. Do you remember that time we well, went? Well, we went and saw uh, uh, the Rob Zombie 3 from Hell, and oh. it was uh, Devil's Rejects right before. Got you. And then. We watched uh, Three from Hell. Oh, Three from Hell. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, I knew we had like some type of triple feature it, like one time it, we so went. So I think before we went, if I remember correctly, we had put on uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. And then we got there and they did Devil's Rejects, which we watched. And as soon as that was over, it was uh, Three from Hell. Okay. Awesome. But um, uh, I'm sure uh, there might have been another one that we did at some point, but th- that was the one that I remember. Okay. That was the most recent. Yeah. But like, yeah, you don't, you don't really get stuff like that anymore. No, you don't. And now instead, and now I think it sucks even more because when A picture, B picture, you know, kind of went away, mm-hmm. these movies eventually became adult date movies. Yeah. These were the movies that you could go, if you could get a babysitter and go out on a date, you would go and see the modern equivalents of these, which would be anything from Julia Roberts, Richard Gere movies, mm-hmm. really kind of a whole Some of my of favorites. Julia Roberts. <laughs> career her her gary marshall side of her career yeah the runaway bride runaway bride in particular pretty woman pretty which woman is and a fantastic um which call it my best friend's wedding my best i love friend's that wedding. one that yeah, that's the one, one with cameron diaz and stuff I, in it i love that one i am like uh, probably one of the lone uh people that really like the mexican yeah, I agree. Uh, that one was okay. It, that's one of those movies that's so weird. Yeah, it's that just you kind of have to get on its level. Yes. And that was not, that was sold to the wrong audience. <laughs> that movie should have been sold to, like, you know, the, the contemporary hipster audience yeah. you know, who want to go and see, like, a revival screen of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, but that was also <laughs> one of his, like, first more. Like companies that I see him in, that was a little more yeah, funny. Yeah, that was one of his first ones that he kind of did. He, I remember. Yeah, you talking about Pitt? Yeah, I'm talking yeah, about Pitt. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he was one of those guys who he had been showing up in serious movies, mm-hmm. giving comedic performances for a while. Mm-hmm. Whether it was True Romance. Oh, he did. Or, he did give uh, him True Romance. Uh, Snatch. Fight Club, Snatch. Yeah, these are all movies where he showed up giving a great comedic performance yes. in the middle of a kind of serious but even movie. that was uh wasn't the mexican was before those things though that's what I, I'm like. i think the mexican was before uh uh snatch but i think it was after fight club oh, okay if i remember correctly okay okay but um uh but yeah like and so and now at this point they're uh, it's weird to me that now like adult date movies are marvel movies and oh yeah you're right <laughs> you know it's like because what else are you gonna go see so yeah. there's so the one thing i will say about lost city and uh i i haven't seen the george clooney julia roberts uh comedy they had uh, the oh, the uh yeah. uh ticket to paradise yes i wanted to see it but I, i'm not in no rush so yeah. i'm like one day i'm gonna put it on i just haven't seen I, it i would love to see it just to see them and yeah. you know i'm glad that the movie did really well Mm-hmm. And I think that Lost City did pretty well. I'm glad those movies did well because of the fact that they brought back yes. the the you know they they were adult romance movies that actually made some money. Yeah, and, and they brought cool. back yeah they revived a a, yeah. a whole another lane that was starting to be a little and you know it's bleak. still and it's still <laughs> bleak and in danger yeah. of, of extinction. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but the hope is that you know like with a couple of successes that it maybe greenlight a few more and. Now all we need is that one really big successful yeah. one to bring it back. You know, I agree. I agree. But of course, that then moves us into what we're talking about now is that we here are going back mm-hmm. now. 
for me, the movies that I love in this genre, you have to go back. Yes. I don't really <laughs> care that much for the ones that are happening today or even the ones mm. that were happening when I was a kid. No, you don't. You but, like all the newer ones, kind I, of like... Well, it's like, I, I like older movies in yeah, general. But do. yeah, it's like when it comes... I like screwball comedies because there's there's something different to the comedy. There's something physical to it. There's something kind of wild to it. And it doesn't have to make sense. That's why I like Jim Carrey so much. Like yeah. we talked about, yeah. you know, like I'm a big fan of Jim Carrey. I'm yeah, because he's so like flamboyantly out there with his comedy yeah, that I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's very slapstick that yeah. sometimes I can... Yeah. fall out of it a little bit sometimes because it's to me it's overly dramatic yeah and sometimes when it's overly dramatic it just turns a slightly yeah. cornball a little bit and i'm like that's yeah. what i can't do it when it's too like too yeah. like ace ventura or cable guy uh, so like actually cable guy is a great example of why i like that stuff so much is because when you really get into screwball comedies and we'll talk about this a bit with these movies when you really get into screwball comedies and when you really get into the idea of kind of slapstick humor, there's a darkness yeah. that underlies all of it. Yeah, it is. There is something about it that is just inherently wrong. And what makes it laughable mm -hmm. is the fact that it is so overdone. It's so overzealous. See, it's so overdramatic. I grew out of that stuff um, when I started heading into my teens. But you know, yeah. I actually used to be a big Jim Carrey Fan yeah. when I was little, like yeah. when the mask came out, when Ace Ventura yeah. came out, all of those I love. We used to, yeah. we used to play them and watch them constantly. Yeah. So they were my favorite when I was really little because they were yeah. just so screwball funny, classic yeah. funny. But it's just once I got older, I was like, okay, it's a little too much for me now. Yeah. I, I can't do yeah. it. <laughs> the the ones of his I still love from that period are, I mean, of course, Cable Guy, but I think Cable Guy kind of. I like Liar Liar because it's not so it's not yeah. too overly done, but yeah. it's still like funny. So I like Liar Liar. Liar Liar is very funny. I like Cable Guy, but I don't. I think Cable Guy is almost a horror movie. Oh, I don't it really is. necessarily think, it, especially when you go back and rewatch it after seeing it as a kid. Yeah. When you're a kid, it's very funny because you're like, oh look, Jim Carrey's so funny. Yeah. But then when you go back and you rewatch it, you're kind of like, we did that. We had watched it maybe a like a year ago, and yeah. then you were like, this it, is dark. It's a very frightening <laughs> film, and like mostly because. Especially today with some of the the things that you see happening online and everything, you wouldn't really be surprised if somebody put up a, an Instagram story saying that they're, you know, somebody who came and installed their internet started stalking them. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost a humorous version <laughs> yeah. of the, this horrifying story. But then the way Jim Carrey plays it, he plays it like a guy that you would really meet at work. Yeah. That you're just kind of like, yeah, that dude's going to come in here and yeah go crazy one day almost like he so much want to be you that he starts to imitate your yeah. life and he wants to your life now so it gets it, really like stalkerish and does. crazy yeah <laughs> but i i do love liar like the one of his that i still really love from that period was me myself and irene me too i still <laughs> like that one too i like me myself and irene even though that one's still wild too but we love that one growing up too yeah and but i like some of his serious ones like i like well, um the majestic yeah majestic and truman show yeah and truman uh, show and uh, then i liked um eternal sunshine and numbers Numbers, 20, yeah, number twenty three. Yeah. Yes, I like his more serious ones. Yeah. If I'm honest, yeah, yeah. I I think that I don't think that it's a stretch to say that once he started doing films like that, a lot of people were like, "Oh wow, yeah, Jim Carrey." Yeah. What I think is very interesting, though, in looking back at some of these movies, is that when you look at some of the ones that we're talking about, these are all movies by people that we may more associate as serious actors. Yeah. And you're watching these kind of like crazy movies where they're being unbelievably funny or unbelievably yeah. cute. And you forget about the fact that if you were living through 
a certain period of film, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily like, what is this person doing? It's so off brand. Mm-hmm. The way that you would when all of a sudden you're talking about Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler, like, oh, they're serious work. Yeah. I like it when they do their serious stuff. Yeah. There was actually a period where you were just like, it's a Cary Grant movie. Yeah. It's a Katherine Hepburn movie. And it didn't matter and, if it was serious or And that? yeah, you just went and saw oh. it because they were in it. And but they were... were and very wide, a wide range. They had a wide you, range of acting abilities. That's yeah. why you probably could say that. And it was also like it was uh, a little bit more open. And I'm not saying Jim Carrey and them don't. I'm oh, just no, saying no, no. Yeah. it. A lot of their movies, yeah, were like split off. Like their yeah. comedies were split off from their serious ones. Mm-hmm. There was not a lot no. of them that they made that was like serious and funny. But yeah, yeah. a little bit, I guess you could say. Because yeah. now when I think of like some of Adam Sandler movies, I'm like some of it will get kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Like serious. Uh, yeah, you go when they first were funny. Big Daddy, Wedding yep. Singer. Like those are all movies that you go back and look at. And there's, there are these moments, it's those moments when he flips out. Yeah. And those moments when he flips out, you're kind of like, this is kind of messed yeah. up. See, like, but I like Rain Over Me. Rain Over Me is brilliant. Yeah. I love <laughs> that, that one. Cool the movie. one with Don Cheeto. Like, I don't know yeah. why, but Adam Sandler did it. I love that I, one. You know, it's one of those funny things where if I went back and looked at it again today, I don't really know how I'd feel about the movie itself, but those performances, I know oh, I'd feel the exact same. Okay, about. okay. Because those performances were yeah. unbelievable, they especially were good. the two of them together. Nobody really saw that movie. Oh, like, ooh, that's what's so out. crazy because yeah. we adored it <laughs> when it came out. Oh, yeah, I, like, it, it was, my whole family adored it. That's why we were like Adam yeah, Sandler because he was so serious. It was one of those movies that, if I remember correctly, I don't think it did very well at the box office. I don't think it did very well critically. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of got mixed reviews critically. Oh. Most people saying, you know, exactly what I just said. Yeah. On the movie, but man, those performances were unbelievable. Yeah, because it was something I never. That was a side I didn't really know because he went full on serious. Yeah. Like there was no company mm-hmm. in between that. Right. Yeah. Like he went full on, yeah. so that's why I, and I thought that was amazing. I think yeah. he did a great job. It, it's one of those funny things where he he sort of actually sustained the uh, part of Wedding Singer where he's just going through the breakup, yeah. for the entire movie, <laughs> and you're just like, wow, that's actually a very effective <laughs> drama when yeah. you look at it like that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Take out Drew Barrymore and John Lovitz, and suddenly <laughs> it's a very effective drama about a very depressed man. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's funny. Okay. <laughs> So we started with uh, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961. Yes. It was directed by Blake Edwards, written by uh, a guy who I, I love his name, George Axelrod, and uh, based on a, a novel by Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. It started Audrey Hepburn as Holly, George Papard as Paul, uh, Patricia Neal as the uh, the great 2E, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Martin Balsam as uh, uh, OJ, who was also in Psycho as Arbogast. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Which, we'll go ahead and get this out of the way yeah, first. Yeah, just go ahead. That just wasn't okay. No, it was not. It was not okay to the degree where people have actually, who were involved in the production, who were around when the film were released, actually said, like, you know, it wasn't even okay when it came out. Like, we all had a problem with it even when it came out. Yeah. It was a decision of Blake Edwards, and it it is definitely a... Um, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, hopefully if you're watching, if you're listening to this, you've watched the film already. But, mm-hmm. like, if you don't really know, like, what happens here, Mickey Rooney plays the Japanese landlord. Mm-hmm. And it is just, like, yellow face, mm-hmm. essentially. It's it's extremely offensive. It's, yeah. like, extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not even somebody who necessarily normally gets super offended by 
a lot of stuff. And yeah. even I can look at that and just be like, well, yeah, Because it was not bad the way it yeah. was doing to me. It was uh, very exaggerated. Yeah. And if you're going to play a part when somebody is that exaggerated in their um, culture or their yeah. ethnicity or their, you know, then it's best, or in their race, I think it's just best to get yeah. that same race to just be over dramatic versus getting someone to play them because that's almost like the same yeah. offense that we have with blackface. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it is, was yeah. like that. And But the one thing I can say, I know that some people had had a problem when they go back and re-watch uh, Tropic Thunder, yeah. how they say that yeah. you know um, Which, Robert Downing Jr. Yeah. because he had on, but I was like, I don't know if that is completely the same thing. And the reason why I say this is because, like you said, for one, that was satire, but two, yeah. I think the funny thing about it, it was never about him playing a yeah. black man. Yeah. It was always about a man that lost his identity from yeah. playing all these different characters. Yeah. He no longer knew who he was. Yeah. And so he kind of just would like kind of blend into his character, yeah. not even knowing yeah. who he was. And I think that was deeper than somebody who was just imitating somebody yep. who was of yeah. Asian background. Yeah, I, I agree. And th- this definitely played a lot more like... Um, you know, even, like, if if you go back and you watch certain things, like, say, you know, like Dumbo. Yeah. Where it's, like, there there are some very obvious links to the minstrels. Yes, in that of movie. course. I don't necessarily get offended by that because I was a place and a time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I just, I have a critical understanding of it. Yeah. So I understand, oh, okay, yeah, that's not okay. Yeah. But at the same time, I can also watch the film. And okay. I, I'm able to separate those things. It depends understand. on how it's done. Because to me, so it's about I'm, artistic... What, uh, uh, like it's about artistic ability it's yeah. about how it's and, done if you do it artistically where it actually gives me a message where yeah. it actually says something to me then i'm kind of more accepting of it but if it's just straight up offensive no yeah. i'm not gonna get down with it and that that's that's what i mean to say is that like when i watch that film i'm kind of like oh okay yeah that that was a thing it was definitely parody it was definitely not okay no there, but like I can still watch Dumbo and not really necessarily the entire time just be like, oof. Yeah. With the Mickey Rooney thing, that played like you went to a Lower East Side vaudeville act mm-hmm. that like seven people were in who were all yeah. very drunk. Yeah. And this white dude got up and just started doing like, oh, look at me. I'm the Japanese yep. guy next door. And you decided and it, to film it. And, and you decided to film it. Yeah. It was just, it was very bad and uncomfortable yeah. all the way around and it just because was it not, wasn't saying anything it was it, just it wasn't a, saying anything and it wasn't even it was just a false invitation yeah, of it wasn't it, saying it was, anything it, it wasn't saying anything and it wasn't really there wasn't a reason to actually have it there in that way no it wasn't because there wasn't even anything that you could link to capote's book yeah that said like it's not like Capote wrote a character that was a white guy that pretended to be Japanese yeah. or anything like that. So there, what was the point it, in that? It was literally just like, you know who'd be funny in this role? Mickey Rooney. That yeah. was kind of Blake Edwards' opinion on it. And it's definitely the one thing in the movie that it, that makes it kind of a relic. Because like what he brought to that was definitely a holdover from a period of comedy that he enjoyed yeah. that no longer was actually popular. No, it was it, not funny. And, it was no longer funny because now you were catering to what film ended up doing. You were catering to a wider audience. Yeah. And the audience of film kept getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and further and further and further away from the stage. Yes. And the further away from the stage that it got, the more that you were dealing with a widespread audience mm-hmm. who were starting to see things from all around the world, mm-hmm. especially by 1961. Mm-hmm. 
by this point we've seen Kurosawa movies we've seen <laughs> we've seen films from other countries and we suddenly have this view of like oh yeah there, there's this world is so large yeah and there's so much that's being said across this world this movie is suddenly funnier if you bring Toshiro Mofune in and teach him the dialogue phonetically got you to do the exact same part yeah and that's then, what I said. I would prefer an actual and, Japanese person just being yes, overly dramatic and, and then, about their own race rather than you have a totally different race doing like appropriating another and, race. And what I was going <laughs> to say is that, you know, it's like if you suddenly bring Toshiro Mofune in and you teach him the dialogue phonetically, is it still a problematic part that's poking fun at the Japanese landlord? Like, yes, absolutely. But it's also not cheap imitation done in somebody's living room that's suddenly yeah. put into the middle of an, a picture. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Because at least someone else of that race yeah. was doing it. Yeah. So that's a little bit more like, okay, I can. it's more acceptable. Yeah, it's and, still and a little... It, it's eh, still very wrong because yeah. it's still white people poking fun yeah. at the Japanese man yeah. that they got to learn the dialogue phonetically just to make fun of his accent. Yep, that's true. So it's true. still the exact same thing. It's not the exact same, but no. it's still like the same result of like, yeah. Oof. It's a but little it's hard not to... <laughs> quite as like, I'm just going to fast forward to this part, like yeah. which we didn't do. But well, like... we didn't do because then we would have like also missed parts yeah. of the movie. But, so I didn't want to miss it. But at the yeah. time I was like, you remember like every time it came out, I was like, ooh. Yeah. I was just like, it was not fun no. to watch at all. No, that those parts were not good. No. But so now that we've gotten Mickey Rooney out of the way. Overall, though, this is your first time seeing Breakfast at yes. Tiffany's. How yes. did you feel about it? I loved it. I always, because I've always seen uh, little bits and pieces here and there on when it used to come on like TBS. They used to have Breakfast at Tiffany's on. Yeah. And then you used to have to <laughs> wade through all the commercials just yep. like that. So I just remember seeing bits and pieces at time. I never saw it in, enti- like in its entirety until the other day. Yeah. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I told you she was like the girl, the mischief. Like mm-hmm. I love her mischievousness in yeah. the whole entire story. Because yeah. usually it's the man kind of going yeah. back and forth, wrestling with things like that. And this time it was her. And it was so nice to see yeah. this woman that um, it was, well, I can say it was, um, it seemed like she was more demure and upscale, but when yeah. you really find out... The more sh- the, the facade gets broken, yeah. the more you go along, the more you're just peeling back the onion. Yeah, because it was just more layers to her story than what, of course, she would ever let in because you could tell she was just that kind of person where she was just like, my past is my past, and it almost feels like a different person. And she yeah. even said it, remember? There was a point where she's like, I'm not her anymore. Yeah. Like... That is no longer yeah. me. So, yeah. like, because at one point, I don't recognize that person you say I am. <laughs> yeah, because at one point in the story, her, you know, you you see her as being this um, uh, sprightly a kind of uptown uh, girl, uptown girl yeah. who is uh, uh, single and always has uh, parties going, kind of, kind of like a, a socialite. That's a what socialite. She, yeah. yeah, very much a socialite. Very, but much she a, really isn't. Um, she only pretends to be. She's yeah, really not and, a socialite. And when in reality, she has a guy that she married when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. It, the son, the story, that's why I said, like, it's a very funny movie. And, you know, like, removing the pro- quote-unquote problematic aspects of yeah. it, right? Like, 
And I'm not talking about the Mickey Rooney stuff. I'm talking about like you know, in terms of the actual story. Got you. Removing the quote unquote problematic aspects of it, looking at this story in and of itself, this is a very very dark and depressing. Yeah, story. Yeah, it was sad. It was sad because it's like she got married off. She got married off at 14. Yeah, because she was like, what was? And was there was nothing? Of, yeah, like six kids. Yeah, or it was like yeah. three to five kids or something yeah. like that. She was taking care of, and I remember like her husband coming back well it was really her ex because you remember she said she got an annulled or something like that but he was still calling her his wife yeah and he was like you just ran off and they miss you and they weren't even her like biological children no. she did not yeah she she was not the woman that gave birth to those children yeah. but he was just like you know they missed their mother and and she was just 14 and she probably was taking care of kids like only half her age. So she was 14. That yeah. means she was taking care of kids that were seven, eight, nine, and 10. I, I was about to say like the craziest thing is when you see the picture with all of them, you realize that she was at most 10 years older than the middle child. At most? And so you were, that, that's, yeah. why, that's why I was like, at, like. Because even they had a little boy that looked like he was like maybe two years younger than well, her. That, she was 14. He looked like he was 12. That's why I said like the middle child. Okay. Because like I was that, like, That's why I was man. like, there was probably one that she was about, you know, maybe 12 years older. Yeah. It was probably the youngest. Like mm-hmm. if there was three kids, I can't remember how many kids it actually was. I think it was but like three to five on that picture. It, there was a lot. Like, and then, but like she was probably only about 10 years older than the middle to the youngest child. Yeah. So you're just looking at like, yeah, it's what? like the, the oldest child may have actually been more of the age to actually date her yeah than the actual father <laughs> the actual father so it was so, just weird and she was like there was nothing else to do so you yeah you got married really early yeah. in life and she always wanted more and so she finally dipped off she ran off yep. and she became this like uptown girl you know yeah. and then you have her kind of running away from that mm-hmm. and this aspect that the only reason that she in any way, shape, or form, keeps any level of contact with that part of her life. Yeah. Is so that when her brother gets back from the war, yeah, he can go back and have a place to live. Yeah. That was and sad. That part's sad. That was extremely <laughs> sad. And then simultaneously, you also have her meeting this guy who, when you're first watching it, and I enjoyed watching it with you and kind of not really giving you anything because then you kind of got to see it as it unfolded in this yeah. beautiful way. That... She meets this guy, and at first you're thinking, oh, she's kind of the escort. Yeah. She's kind of the call girl. Yeah. And it's kind of a pretty woman situation. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that this movie actually did Pretty Woman in reverse years before Pretty Woman. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's actually the guy Mm -hmm. who is... Just, no, wasn't, I don't know if it's reverse or it's just as bad because they were both the same. Well, I just mean gender swapped. Like, because, like, oh, I guess. Yeah, because both of them actually, were, so I don't know how it was the well, gender he, side. Both she, of them she's were. kind of more of a socialite, whereas he is actually like a dude who is. Yeah, like, he was literally you know, yeah, sleeping with older rich women. Guy, I yeah. Guess is the, he was a call guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mel, yeah. He yeah. Was. He was <laughs> I was trying to remember the actual yeah. term. Because I didn't want to say man whore because that's not the real right <laughs> term. <laughs> a gigolo, yeah. But yeah, he, so George Pappard is actually like a gigolo in that who's uh, specific, his specific client yeah. uh, that he has above everybody else is Miss 2E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Played by Patricia Neal, who's uh, amazing in the movie. Yeah. But, like, it is kind of interesting that it's like, you know, she meets this guy, and then as his story starts to unfold, you realize that he's this writer in big air quotes. Yeah. He's this guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. But when she first asks him about writing, you realize that there's no 
ink ribbon in his typewriter that he hasn't actually written anything in forever. In real life, in reality, he's just a guy who professes himself as a writer to everyone, but is living under this woman. No, I think he does like all of us. He probably had writer's block. Yeah. Or just very much procrastinating because yeah. I know that yeah. I can do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just procrastination and just writer's block. Because you remember by the end, he had like sold the book or it was well, done and he had yeah, sold the book. He, he had written a book way earlier. Mm-hmm. You could tell he moved out to New York and started coasting off of his good looks with the ladies. Yeah, Because he needed an income he and he probably didn't want to get a regular yeah. job while he was and writing. Exactly, <laughs> and then once he got that substantial income, once he got that nice place to live that had where the woman sent over a decorator to set it all up for I him. I know, that's why. He just stopped trying to be a writer. Yeah, he like, had a sugar mama. He had a sugar mama and it is inferred that probably a few, but she's the one that we see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like, you know, and the story, of course, is kind of her trying to find her own identity and him trying to find his way back into being a writer and the way they encourage each other. Yeah. But it was so funny how that. he said it. You remember when she first gave him a, when, um, I forgot her name already. Audrey Hepburn? Yeah, Audrey Hepburn. But I'm talking about her character. Oh, Holly. Yes. Yeah. So when Holly first told him about her, her like, her job. You remember? Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. I just sit at the table yeah. and he pays me to go to the bathroom and powder my nose and then yeah. I come back. Guys just pay me for my time. Yeah. And then he was kind of, he was like, I don't think that's okay. Yeah. But then you find out he was sleeping <laughs> with somebody. You're like, wait a minute, dude. Like, isn't that the, kel- you know, isn't yeah. that the pot calling the kettle black? Yeah. Like, I don't uh, know. I know. <laughs> because I was like, wait a minute. You just yeah. called out and said it wasn't okay, but you're doing it. Yeah. Like, you're even worse than her because... At least from what I know, she hadn't yet said she was sleeping with anyone. Yeah. Maybe she probably was, but, like, yeah. it hadn't been stated. But I'm like, yours was evident. Yours yeah. was evident. Well, that was kind of the whole thing. Is, you know, he, he slept with, you know, these different women for money. Yeah. And she, at times, probably made, you know, from what we can see, made her money by inferring that you were going to sleep with her. Yeah. And, but it never actually happened. Yeah. You know, so her her money was made off of leading you on, where his money was made off of actually having to perform. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But, like, uh, I think one of the things about the movie that has probably aged the best is are, are the hijinks that oh, they ensue yeah, on together. Yeah, you're right. Like, when they actually do go to Tiffany's, yeah. finally. Yeah. Or, you know, like, when they um, are just, like, kind of, like, running around... You know, there's that great bit where they put on the masks and they're, yeah. they're running around and doing they're just all this being crazy, children again. They're just being these crazy children. Yeah. There's also this aspect that I love of um, uh, when we were watching it. I realized I was like, we have really lost our classiness with jokes. Yeah. Because one of <laughs> one of the things I absolutely love in terms of the humor of the movie is there's that scene where Papard and uh, um, uh, Martin Balsam mm-hmm. are uh, standing there talking and. Uh, George Papard has brought in the book that he wrote, which is called Nine Lives. Mm-hmm. And they put it up on the shelf <laughs> and it's sitting right in between them. And of course, there's only one thing that has nine lives, which is a cat. Yeah. And what they're talking about is getting some. Yeah. yeah so it's like, That's <laughs> funny. You, yeah, you pointed that out to me. I was like, that is so funny. And you're just looking at it. You're just like, oh, this is this is too good. The yeah, layers the of jokes. The innuendos. The layers of jokes that are all peppered throughout here yeah <laughs> probably my favorite scene in the movie though is that party me too that, that was at, my favorite one where you you see all of these people 
getting crowded a, into this little small little New York apartment. An apartment about the size of the one we're in right now. I mean, it was smaller like, than that. It was smaller yeah. than that. Way smaller than that. And it's like, and just all these people backed up against each other and the insanity. Yeah. That ensues. I mean, he got sat on. He got <laughs> sat on at one point. Yeah, George Papari got yeah. sat on at one point. You have all of these different conversations that are happening on top. And of remember each the other. woman, the other woman that was you can tell was like a socialite herself. Yeah, that was around that went that you can tell showed up at multiple parties yeah. with Holly. Yeah, you remember she got so drunk and everybody was so used to her doing. That's how you could tell they she, hung around the same Timber. social circle. It was like Timber and everybody just moved out the way. Let her fall, and then Nate actually gathered. On oh, yeah, on top of her, basically in between her like arms and where her legs were yeah. splattered. They just they they just right. stepped around and her, and my, I was like, "That is so funny." My absolute favorite was when uh, the woman is standing in front of the mirror. Oh yeah, and she starts by just giggling. And she then did turns kind of crying. Yeah, and she then did turns to, screaming. She did a, like a laugh now, cry later kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like, <laughs> it was and, you're, like and you're just watching it, just like oh man, like. They don't make what she was drinking. Anymore. I know, and not only that, but I was like, "Are you sure it was only <laughs> yeah, the drink?" Only alcohol. It and probably got spiked with some type yeah. of like, I don't know, like some type of pills or something. Like she was like that was yeah. more than drink. And, and then you also had uh, the the great moment where uh, uh, George Papard and and the the Hungarian dude that she was talking to, yeah. Or a French dude, whatever he was. No, I don't know if it, he, I thought he was like Brazilian or something. Maybe, like maybe that. he was Brazilian. Yeah, because he was talking about taking her back and home, and I thought he was Brazilian. He might have been, and uh, I know that he looks a lot like the Hungarian guy out of Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I always in my head, <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, you know, when they're trying to dip out of the party, and they both go running out of the bathroom. Yeah, and up the open, fire escape. Up the fire escape, yeah. and they pull open the bathroom shower curtain, and, and people are making th- out. There's Arbogast with yeah. some, you know, like. 18 year old girl yeah she's like what happened he's like i don't know jewel thieves yeah. just continue on. <laughs> but it is like one of those those kind of like great movies that you go back and watch and it has tremendous yeah. hijinks and then that was a fun time that was definitely a hangout movie it definitely a good hangout yeah. movie with those two you know you even have that aspect of um you brought up like the other being kind of like kids and that is personified so beautifully in the fact of how they get into each other's apartments. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they climb over the fire escape. Yeah. And climb in through each other's windows. Yep. To see each other. Yeah. And that's how they know and see each other. Yeah. And you're like, there is nothing that screams teenagers <laughs> hanging out more, more than that. Than two people that go through each other's windows. Yeah, climbing in and out of each other's windows. <laughs> But those parts were so innocent. That's what I yeah. loved about them. Those parts yeah. were just so innocent. It's like, I just wanted to talk to you about my day or yeah. about what happened. Like, it was just so innocent. I yeah. Loved it. yeah. And, and then, you know, there's, uh, and, and it's fascinating to see that there's like this level of tragedy that yeah. kind of like hangs over the whole thing. Yeah. Um, have you seen a lot of Audrey Hepburn's movies? No, I have not. Yeah. But I've always wanted to. Yeah. I just never looked for them. Like, the time that I had interest in them, like, I just, I didn't have other people around me that was interested yeah. in the same thing. So a lot of my um, passions and the things came from, didn't come from a lot of people around me. Yeah. I mean, it came from my like family, my dad and stuff, loving films. And that's how I got into them because yeah. he loved them. He loved going to the theater. We were a theater family, but like a lot of my passion for like writing and stuff like that didn't, I wasn't around a lot of people that were like that. Yeah. Like whenever I took, I remember growing up, like when I was in like middle school and high school and when I told people what I love to do, 
I love to write short stories and poetry and all those things. They were just like, what? Like yeah. they just thought it was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> That's like work. Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't understand why I liked it so yeah. much, but I, I, I wasn't around a lot of people that can introduce me to a lot of things. So even though I knew her, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of people that could get me interested, yeah. like that I could actually have that passion for with. So I was like, eh. sometimes I would just like pass it up or yeah. if I couldn't find it easily, I just let it go. So I, I think the two next ones that we need to see then are uh, charade yeah. and uh, uh, Roman holiday. Okay. Those are the next two. The yes. Watch. And I, that's why I said, I know both films, but I know of both films, but yeah. I, I've never seen it. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're great, great movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then that brings us to the next movie that we saw, uh-huh. which was uh, one of the two. It's very funny to me because it's, it was like we had one that we enjoyed, and I can kind of tell that you enjoyed the next one. It seemed like a little bit more. Yeah. And then another one that we enjoyed, and then I can tell that you liked the next one a little bit more. Yeah. But bringing up Baby. Yeah. 1938, Howard Hawks, uh, written by Dudley Nichols and uh, Hager Wilde. Mm-hmm. It was uh, based on a story by Hager Wilde, starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. I know, it's the two uh, <laughs> the two Hepburns, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we had the two Hepburns yep. uh, in this one. Um, but Bringing Up Baby. Yes. This was also your first time seeing... I love this, this one. This one. was actually one of my favorites. I, like... I love this one. Yeah. It was, I, I, yeah, it was I like awesome. for you to talk about this one for a minute. No, I mean, I don't have, I don't, I want yeah. you to talk about it like you usually do. You're good at introducing those things. Well, I mean, like, because I mean, you don't, I, from what I know, you haven't really even seen a whole lot of Howard Hawks' movies. No, I haven't. Which, I mean, you know, like Rio Bravo, even yeah. like his westerns, like Rio Bravo, Red, Red River. That's or, why I said I've heard a lot of those because yeah. my dad loved those kind of films when I was growing up. And sometimes I just didn't sit there and watch it with him because yeah. he would sit there on like yeah. those like TCMs and all those channels and he yeah. would watch all of these. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't, I didn't always sit down with him and watch it. Because I remember one of his films being like uh, The Imitation of Life. Yeah. And so he loved films like that and he would sit there and watch them. He watched a lot of Westerns and things like that. So I knew about him through my dad. Yeah. But I never took the time to like study them myself. Yeah. So this is, uh, because we got to do two, we're doing two Howard Hawks movies back to back right now. We, okay. we did Bring a Baby and then we did His Girl Friday. Yeah. Now, His Girl Friday is more or less kind of the one that most people kind of, I think, associate with Hawks and talk about okay. and whatnot. Bring a Baby, though, to me is kind of the one that I like a lot more. Yeah, it's my favorite. And it's interesting that Howard Hawks liked it so much that he eventually remade it as a movie called Man's Favorite Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think that Man's Favorite Sport is as good of a film, but I do still think it is a hilarious, yeah. amazing movie. But Bring Up Baby is far and away, like, <laughs> one of, still to this day, one of the funniest movies I've ever yes. seen made. I loved it. It was absolutely, it had everything in it. It did. It had some of everything in it. Yeah. And that's what I love because it had some of the like shock factors like, <gasps> yeah. you know, like you do, <gasps> yeah. and then when you watch movies, it had that in there. It had the funny moments. It had the serious moments and it had the, oh, so it had some of everything yep. in it. And then I love, I love uh, Catherine Hepburn's like chaoticness. I yes. love that's why I said I really love movies that have a lot of women that are very mischievous. Yeah. I love movies like that. I don't know yeah. why, but I love it like that because it brings this extra like oomph factor because yeah. like I remember even growing up, I grew up in sort of a traditional family yeah. in a way that you would that would seem traditional. Yeah. And I remember like being, you know, between the ages of like 
eight and like 14 maybe. Yeah. And I remember somewhere in between that age, my grandmother actually like said to me one day, you know, because she was born in like the 20s, like the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So like I remember her telling me one time, like, you know, girls should be seen and not heard. Yeah. And so uh, that left me kind of shy a lot of times to really speak my mind mm-hmm. and really open up when I was younger. Yeah. So I just came off as really like quiet and shy. Um, and then I didn't like open up to a lot later in life because I was yeah. like, my grandmother told me that girls should be seen and not heard. Yeah. And so that made me really like go, mm, but like I was, I was sort of along the lines that they were in the films. Like yeah. I was like, if my grandmother didn't say those kind of things, like I was very mischievous, like, and it was innocent fun. It yeah. wasn't, there was no malice or ill intent. It was just, I was very mischievous. Like I like to go on adventures and have fun. So it was funny because you would think that the boys in my family was like that. Cause there was a lot of, like I have three brothers yeah. <laughs> and then I had a few like male cousins that was, a, that we were all around the same age and you thought they would have been the more mischievous ones. No, yeah, it was us girls. <laughs> and so I think that's what my grandma said that. Cause my brother and I would spend hours on video games like yeah. they would play sega and nintendo yeah. so their attention would be like toward the game for hours yeah. but we didn't have those same things to keep us company yeah. we were too old for dolls yeah but still too young to participate in teen girls things right. so that made us very mischievous so we ended up in a lot of like little yeah. <laughs> a very innocent fun yeah. and like trouble a very yeah. innocent trouble it wasn't anything major it'd be something like oh we jumped off the side of something and we hurt ourselves yeah <laughs> Because we were playing like a game, we decided yeah. to make up a game ourselves. And we jumped off of something and we hurt ourselves. Yeah, like that's the kind of like very yeah. innocent, mischievous fun we got into. But like my grandmother, we used to like drive her crazy like that because it was the girls like that. The yeah. boys were so fine, but yeah. we would we couldn't have nothing to do. We were too old for dolls, yeah. but we were still too young to like participate in teen girl stuff. Yep, and you definitely have that that thing where it's. Uh... With this one, like, Catherine Hepburn is kind of playing, like, that character that is so free and wild. That yeah. It, it doesn't, almost doesn't even matter whether you're male or female when you're watching her. You're kind of like, sometimes I wish I could be that free and wild. Yes, <laughs> that's what I like mean. Yeah. But, it, but at the times, that's what's so cool about it, because there mm-hmm. were times where I got to be that. Yeah. But then someone would be like, sit down somewhere. Yeah. Like, I was always told to sit down somewhere, like, when I would get like that. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, sit down like my aunt or my... Auntie, like somebody would tell us to sit down, but it was so funny because it was never like my uncles or anybody like that. It was always the other women, other men yeah. going, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man. So it was, it was cool. But I, I really love films like that because that expression is so big yeah. to me and it feels so free yeah. that I love those kind of expressions from women in film. Yeah. So I think that's why I love films like this. Yeah. And it, like, that was the thing that Howard Hawks was kind of known for is he was known for outside of just being you know, great with dialogue, great with, with storytelling. I mean, he was one of the greatest tellers of stories, yeah. like in terms of just like, this is where you start. This is where you end kind of like the basics of American storytelling. Yeah. He was one of the best at it. In my opinion, much better than John Ford, who was, you know, another Western director that yeah. he would sometimes get compared to. And I think what's kind of interesting going back and looking at this movie is seeing that... So, like, the story, like, in broad strokes is... Mm-hmm. Cary Grant is, like, a, a 
a paleontologist or a museum director or so, something along the lines. Yeah, what do you and, call the? Uh, it was like the same in um, flirting with disaster. What uh, was? Yeah, like I think they were te- they were some like scientists who worked for a museum. I know they were called a certain thing though. Uh, oh man, well, I knew I, the name at first. Well, I think like we're in flirting with disaster. I thought that they were like geologists or something. Oh, like they that. were okay. Maybe they were. Uh, yeah, but I could be wrong about that. Like, yeah. it's been a while, but. Anyway, he's working on assembling a dinosaur, which I know is technically paleontology, but yeah. I don't know if that's entirely what he does. I can't yeah. remember. But um, he is more or less like a museum director or paleontologist or, or something there, or a scientist that works for a museum, I should say. Yeah. And then, um, and he is uh, engaged to be married to a woman that very clearly does not care about having sex. And that's the the plight of the beginning of the movie. They're about to get married. And the only thing she cares about is this marriage is going to help bolster the museum. And Cary Grant is like, but I, I kind of wanted to like, I don't know, just like not leave our bedroom for like a month. I thought that was why we were getting married. (laughs) And it's very obvious that she does not care about that at all. Yeah. And then he ends up meeting, this wild, mischievous heiress. Yeah. Or heiress. I don't know why I put a T on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this wild, mischievous heiress. Yeah. Who is played by Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. who is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And brings a, a leopard into the picture named Baby, which is the baby of the title. Yeah. <laughs> <She>, uh, yes. <laughs> and you just have all of like the hijinks that ensues between the two of them that... One of the things I love about it is how close it is to, and it, I mean, it is the fact, you know, it's 1938, so you're very close to when the talkies have started and silent films have ended. Yes. That you have, I mean, one of the first great gags of the movie is her tearing the back of her dress and her underwear show. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> and the, the entire back and forth of, like, the whole thing, and they're, like, He's trying to cover it up, and then he gives up on covering it up, and then she doesn't even notice, and he's, like, going... And it's just this madness that ensues of everybody knows what's happening, and everybody's being too polite to look until finally they just can't do it anymore. Yeah, and then they're laughing. Because they're in a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) They're, like, laughing as she's walking by, because he has to cover her. (laughs) And And then it just gets worse from there. You know, you also have stuff like she... You know, because at the time, like, you had a key that went to any model make of the same car you yeah. know she gets into his car which i didn't know that that was a fun fact that you told me i was like what well how can she just get in someone's car and drive off yeah. that's not her car and then you were like the keys at that time worked in everybody's yeah. car and i was like what yeah. and then like you know so she just gets into his car and starts driving on. he's like what are you doing and then crashes into multiple things yes. this was like the ultimate like they kept and they kept switching that was like a through yeah. line through the movie you remember they kept switching cars and i'm yeah. like what is wrong with <laughs> How do you just switch cars with somebody else? This is weird. Yeah. And it was just one of those fun... Well, now you know why Like we all have individually keyed cars. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, uh, it, it was uh, it was just one of those things where, like, when you're watching a lot of those hijinks, like, they're just... They are so over the top. Yeah. And so hilarious. And this was one of those movies where it really was just kind of, like, get in, get out. It is going to move fast, and it's going to be hilarious from beginning to end. Yeah. And it really, really was. Like, yeah. it, it is just, like, one of those movies that I absolutely love. And I was so glad that, like, when you watched it, you were enjoying it. I loved it. That was actually out of the four. Yeah. I have to go ahead and say before we finish the other ones. Yeah. That, that was my favorite one out of the four we watched. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, it makes sense to me. It was, <laughs> it was 
Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. But that led us to watching His Girl Friday. Yeah. Which is also directed by Howard Hawks, two years after Bringing Up Baby in mm-hmm. 1940. Um, it was uh, uh, written by uh, John Lederer, adapted from uh, a um, uh, play mm-hmm. uh, by Ben Hecht called The Front Page, and starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Mm-hmm. And this one is kind of more of, uh, Cary Grant is a, uh, a newspaper man. Yeah, but he also act like a hustler a little bit too. He, he's very much a hustler <laughs> in the story. Yeah, it's he's like, a, he, he, like, he act like a little bit of a hustler because yeah. he would, you remember that scene where he actually like, I think he talked that man into like giving him like that, yeah. that insurance check or whatever, yeah. that policy. You remember? And yeah. I was just like, dude, you're like hustling out of him, out of yeah. his money when they only had a certain amount to like leave the state with. Yeah. So it was just kind of like weird. And that's all because he just wanted to get his ex to stay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's essentially what the story is. It's like that Cary Grant is this newspaper man. He hasn't signed his divorce papers from his ex, Rosalind Russell. Yeah. She shows up and is like, I'm getting these divorce papers signed. I'm about to get married to this other guy. Mm-hmm. And the entire movie is like a gigantic joke of like, I'll sign it tomorrow. Yep. It's essentially that, give me yeah. five minutes. That's, yep. that's the whole movie. Yeah. The whole movie is that Almost one like joke. Almost like how Twister of, was. Do yeah. you remember how Twister was? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they when they were something. writing Twister, they were like, what if we just take His Girl Friday and put a tornado in it? Yep. That, it's not surprising to me if that's actually how they sold that movie. It's like, Imagine this, His Girl Friday with tornadoes, sold. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that is, um, it is one of, like, the great classic movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a stretch to say, watching that movie, you see where every single Aaron Sorkin movie came from. Yeah. Yeah, Listening to that dialogue is the film. Yeah, and watching the journalistic part of everything yeah. too because they were part of like a newspaper or some yep. type of journalist journalism kind of yeah. uh, background. All of them had it. They would report yep. the news. They would report everything that was going on in their town and city. Yeah, And so that part was interesting too because you also see how, how they got together and worked well together yeah. as well. Yeah. As much as their marriage couldn't work, you also saw how they worked well together. Absolutely. And I do think, and definitely, like, when you see, you know, thinking of Aaron Sorkin, like, just go watch the newsroom. Yeah. And and that th- was... Th- that's literally the newsroom. Yes. What, was, what is her name? Uh, uh, with Emily Mortimer and, and Je- uh, Jeff Daniels. Yeah, that's, that's there. Literally that's literally the now. newsroom. But it's also Olivia Munn and what's yes. his name, who she gets with, who... Uh, announces the death of Osama bin Laden. Oh, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, an episode that I love. Yeah. But every single male-female relationship in that story, for the most part, yeah. with a couple of notable exceptions that maybe are some of the weaker points of that show, yeah. are literally the His Girl Friday yeah. couple. Yep. It is, my wife was once my work wife that is now my wife. Yes. And it doesn't work, and that's why it works. Yeah, and that <laughs> back and forth banter. Yeah. Because they still play it's, so well off of each other, just like in the newsroom. They play yeah. so well off each other. So they were, they worked well together, but there was always this like underlying tension yeah. that you always felt. And that's how it was in um, His Girl Friday as well. Yeah. It's always this underlining tension because uh, Cary Grant had motives. Yeah. <laughs> it's because he had motives. Yeah, and, and, and it's the whole entire idea of like, you know, and... You know, with this one, you know, there there is definitely that aspect of 
mischievousness and nefariousness with those motives. Yes, right? it was. <laughs> and then, but like it yields the same result as something like Newsroom, where it is that thing where the sweetness between the two of them is when one of them gets checkmate. Yeah. When yeah. one of them gets to call mm-hmm. checkmate in that way of like, oh, I've beat you. Yeah. I've I've outsmarted you. Yeah. On everything up to this specific moment between us, I've outsmarted you. Yeah. That's the moment where you see that look between the two of them that you go, that's why they got married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is an amazing thing to build yeah. a show. This is the Howard Hawks movie that I will say that when I saw this one, I didn't really get the hype. Oh, wow. But... Upon rewatch, I will say this might be his best film that he did. Got you. Outside of Rio Bravo, this might be his best directed okay. film. Best made film, best directed film, best written film, best performed yeah. film, the whole thing. Oh, man. And it's entirely because I can actually put this movie on and not even watch it and just listen to the dialogue. Yeah. And it's like I'm listening to an album. Yeah. It's or a po- it's some type of like newscast like, or something because it's the way they did it. it. There is a musicality to it mm-hmm. that is undeniable yes. it is truly brilliant and when you listen to it you're just kind of like how did they do this yeah. these people are spitting out paragraphs of dialogue yeah. in seconds yeah it is unbelievable to but i like the quippy dialogue that was in um bring a baby yeah bring yeah. a baby that's why i liked it. it was so quippy and just like it was boom 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 yeah. it hit like every like no yep. it was that to me that was music and, and i definitely <laughs> when i watch bring a baby now the thing that i see is that his Girl Friday is not a masterpiece without Bringing Up Baby. Got you. And Bringing Up Baby is a masterwork, like, un, uh, like undeniably. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely, in my opinion, about, like, um, like Kurosawa had done the two films. He did Kage and Musha, and he did Ron. And mm-hmm. he often called Kage and Musha a, a dress rehearsal to Ron. Yeah. Personally, I like Kage and Musha more mm-hmm. than I do Ron. Yeah. But Ron is the masterpiece Got between the two you. of them. And I feel it's the same thing with Bringing Up Baby okay. and His Girl Friday. Because, like, he refined it later. It's he, almost it, like he... By ref- the time he gets yeah. to His Girl Friday, like, that is a that is perfection. Yeah. And part of that perfection is the fact that when you go back and rewatch it again, it gets funnier. Yeah. That was the, the intelligence of that movie to me, is I go back and rewatch it, I'm like, it keeps getting funnier yeah. the more that you watch it, because... It is so layered. Yeah. It is so dense. It's yeah. such a dense movie. Mm-hmm. In this short little hour and, you know, whatever it was, hour and hour 30 minutes, hour, you know, 40 minutes. Yeah. It is this extremely dense comedic sucker punch. Yeah. And it doesn't rely so much on the physical hijinks. It mm-hmm. relies on like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to put situations in rooms where people are moving so fast mm-hmm. that it's your job as the audience to keep up. Got you. And good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt about bringing a baby. Yeah. Because everything was moving. She moved and they were moving. So oh, remember, yeah. they, kept, they kept moving from location to location very yeah. quickly. Yeah, like did. you Like you needed to watch it to keep up. But I love that because yeah. that actually enthralled me into everything. Because I was like, think about it. If I look away for a second, yeah. I'm actually scared I'm going to miss something. Yeah. That's why I love that movie. Because yeah. I was like, if I look away for a second, I'm actually scared I'm going to miss something. Yeah. So it kept me enthralled because I was like, no, I don't want to miss anything. So yeah. I'm a I'm going to stay watching it. Yeah. So I stay really glued to the screen because I wanted to see everything that happened. Yeah. Just because they move so fast. Everything happens so quick. And, you know, the other thing that I will say before we leave the Hawks films that I did think was amazing is um, 
if you go back and rewatch The Aviator, uh-huh. I don't really know that Kate Blanchett looked at any other Catherine Hepburn performance outside of Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. To give that <laughs> performance of Catherine no, Hepburn. No, you're, you're probably right. All the way down to the fact that it starts with him on a golf course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the you're probably right. The first time they meet each other, they're on a golf course. And, you know, she has the great line of, well, I sweat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really know that, like, they... They like she looked at any other yeah. Catherine Hepburn performance besides that one, and nor did she need to. Yeah, to, and it reminded me of a. I, do you remember that film in the early nineties that was called Dennis the Menace? Oh yeah, yeah. Her like Catherine Hepburn, like her yep. character reminded me more yeah. or less of that character, yeah. just because it was such like innocent mischievousness, but like the, at the same time she annoyed yeah him so much, like she annoyed the mess out of him so yeah. much yeah that he she she was just like um like a fly in his ear yeah and that's what it reminded me of people that just going like stop that always going stop that and yeah. they're just annoyed at that person and she's going i love you but i love you yeah. but i love you and i just love that part it was yeah. just so innocent yeah it was so innocent it was so great she's yeah. just i love you yeah like i love you and <laughs> she doesn't admit that like of course, right away when they first meet and they're going yeah. through this back and forth, they don't. But then it's funny because the moment she gets to her aunt's yeah. uh, house in the country, like then she admits it and she goes, "I love him." Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, I, that's why you were being so yeah. ridiculous because <laughs> you just wanted to keep his attention." Yeah. There was something mm-hmm. about him that captivated her, and she just wanted to keep his attention. Yep. So Absolutely. it was so cool. I love that. I love it. Yeah. It was so beautiful. <laughs> it, 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 they're both like fantastic films, and bring it, like I said, bring a baby of the two of them. Is definitely yeah, that's my, my favorite, favorite one. Yeah, it's my but favorite. I will also say that going back and rewatching His Girl Friday every single time I rewatch it, I'm just like, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And I, it, there's there have been many films that have tried to imitate it, and many writers have tried to imitate it. Yeah, actually, it's funny that even if you go and look at um, the, I think it was a screenplay for Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I think in the the beginning of it there is even a reference to you need to say the dialogue like his girl friday yeah like it is it is one of those movies that it is so overly imitated and so such a kind of like mainstay that of of filmmakers that you know they see this movie and they go like i want to try and accomplish that yeah and i think for good reason because it is unbelievable that you can achieve that level of humor and satisfaction out of people sitting in restaurants and in, in newsrooms. Yeah, and a lot bantering of bantering back and forth. You know what I noticed too in a lot of her films, she was very captivating as well. Uh you're uh, talking Catherine, about Catherine Hepburn. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what like she was very captivating. I don't mm-hmm. know. I kept looking at her. That's why I found her so interesting. Yeah. And she ended up being like my fa- like favorite. I was yeah. like, you're so captivating. You you I mean I know that you've seen uh uh African Queen. Yeah, we I did. That one together. Yes. But have you seen any of her other no, not that I too. really remember, okay. but I know her. I that's what I'm saying. I know her as the person more than I know her films. Yeah, yeah. So hey, that's what's so funny. I will definitely say that, like, even if you watch no other of her films, the one thing that I would always recommend to anybody that ever wants to know who Catherine Hepburn was, watch. Yeah, was uh, her interview with. Um, I think you showed me that one. Uh, when she Dick kept, Cabot. yeah, she kept moving the table around in yeah. the rugs, and she was just like, "Take it away!" Yeah. It she, right with it. And she and was she, like, <laughs> "She said, there, she's like, yeah, how can you have this rug? Yep, we need a new rug. Yep, <laughs> you're, you're like, this is this is amazing. Yeah, but it is one of it is 
truly one of the most chaotic interviews yeah. that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. But at the same time, you see it's like, it's not that she's this person who's off her rocker. Yeah. Like, but she, she's eccentric. She's, she's kind she's of eccentric. Very eccentric. Maybe has a little unchecked OCD. Yeah. You know, and it's <laughs> like, but like, she is extremely eccentric. But yeah. like, the one thing that's unbelievable is that when you watch her, you see what a dynamic presence she was yeah. just as a human being. Yeah. That resulted in these tremendous performances. And that's what I mean. Hers. I know her more about her as the person than yeah. I do about any of her movies like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but she is, she is unbelievable. Like, what, like, do you know many of Cary Grant's roles? I know a few because yeah. didn't he do uh, like a few musicals and stuff like that too? Well, the the big one that he did that was we watched Ring, right? to get no. So the the big one that he did that we watched together was uh, uh, actually the Hitchcock movie North by Northwest. Oh, that, that was, was the biggest one. That was the big one that, that we watched together. That was his biggest one, right? Well, that was the one that we watched together. It was kind oh. of like one of his most kind of famous roles that he ever gave. Yeah. Um, but he was. He but was, I heard about him so much too. But that's why I said I know these people mm-hmm. more as who they are as people than I actually know about their films. Yeah. Because you just you heard about how dynamic they were as people and as actors. Yeah. But I had actually I haven't seen very many. Yeah. But I actually knew about them through conversations. Yeah. So that's the funny thing about that. I'm like I actually know about them through conversations. Yeah, it was like a lot of the movies that we watched together of his were the Hitchcock films because we watched Notorious together. Yeah. I think. We watched uh, uh, North by Northwest together. Yeah. Um, he was, of course, in Philadelphia Story. And then he was also, uh, well, he was in the one that I mentioned earlier with Audrey Hepburn. Charade. Yeah. That's oh, the two oh. of them together. Okay. Yeah. And so he's done, but, you know, he was just one of those guys. So that, like, you, go you know what I was thinking about, too, when I was thinking of Singing in the Rain? And oh, what's his name? The one, the tapper and the dancer? Yeah, uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Yeah. So I got them confused because <laughs> I heard about yeah. them a lot growing up. So yeah. I'm like, oh, I got him confused with Fred Astaire. <laughs> but um, but no, like he was. But it seems like he died the year of my birthday, the year I was born. Did he really? I think so. They didn't. It seems like he did, in my opinion, because I see his. It says 1904 to 1986. Oh yeah, so yeah, that would have been the the year he died then. But yes, so, but I, yeah, I've, that's why I said I know more about how people talk about him than I know his actual, than I have, have actually watched the films. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I, it was he, nice to go back and watch them because it was really good. He always wore, he made his own suits. Oh, see, that's what I heard about him too, is the yeah. suit thing. Yeah. So yeah. if you watch his movies, you realize he's always wearing the same suit. Oh, wow. Because that was a suit that he made, that he had, tailored. Had they, yeah. yeah. That he tailored. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads us to our final, which actually does make me think that I know that you were thinking of Fred Astaire when you were thinking of him, but I know yeah. that you were saying it was Gene Kelly. And Gene but, Kelly and Fred Astaire. I was thinking of yeah, they took in. Carrie Grant, all three of them is like an amalgamation of each other. I was thinking of that because yeah. they all feel like an amalgamation of each but other. But it did make me realize. But was Gene Kelly in? Gene Kelly was the one singing in the rain, oh. and then you're thinking of uh, uh, Fred Astaire from when we were watching that box set of musicals that had like yes, the that's what I'm, and, Yes, uh, thank you. That's what I, they're all kind of yeah. coming in together, but and they so, were all great performers. But. It made me realize that maybe one of her upcoming ones should be classy, classic musicals yeah, as well. Because be cool. musicals have been getting like this kind of uh, revival ever mm-hmm. since. Uh, that's Blah, actually Blah, one of my favorite ones I've seen so far. Well, yeah. one of my favorites, you still know, is still Sound of Music because yeah. 
the great. Yeah. Ooh, sorry. Julie Andrews. Yeah, no. I was about to burp, but the great. <laughs> sorry. I was trying not to burp, but yeah. yeah. It's okay. The no. great Julie Andrews, is, she's my favorite. Like to, to see her perform is like amazing. And then, um, but my favorite kind of musical that's right in neck and neck with sound of music is uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah. I was like, oh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm falling in love with this film. Yeah. It is, uh, <laughs> it is definitely like one of those movies that you, I, I definitely, um, I have a friend that is like very well versed in musicals. Yeah. And I definitely have a, um, a belief that, you know, when it comes to when it comes to like you know film and genre in particular, yeah. that for the most part we end up like kind of leaning into one of two genres. Yeah, that you end up leaning into kind of musicals or horror movies. Yeah, because those are kind of, in my opinion, the two purest. Yeah. In terms of genre. So are you saying that if you lean into one, you really can't lean into the other? No, I just oh, I just okay. think that in general, when you find the one that you lean more into, yeah. You end up kind of knowing more about that and all the ancillary things around it. Got you. And so musicals was never really the one that I leaned into. I always leaned into horror movies. Yeah. And I, if you go back and you look at the classics, mm-hmm. if you go back and you look at the, the foundations of musicals and the foundations of horror, you end up, which is very funny because A and B pictures. Oh, yeah. You know, You're the right. musicals are always your A pictures yeah. and the horror films are always your B pictures. Yeah. So it is kind of funny. <laughs> I always leaned into the B pictures. Yeah. But it is very interesting to me that when you go back and you look at those films, that one of the things that you end up finding is that they are on a technical level. Yeah. The most perfect cinematic. Yeah. Kind of experiences. Because you really can't do any of that stuff outside of movies. Yeah. No. You know, it's like, like in terms of the, the design, the craft, everything about it, Mm -hmm. like you're you're just not going to find that anywhere else, <laughs> just plain and simple. You know, it's like I don't know anybody who really bursts in a song. Yeah. You know, just on the side of the street. I don't know. I mean, I do it in my everyday life. Well, what I mean, I mean by, it's goofy. It's it's not ta- it's well, not a talent or gifted driven thing. But, but is, I do it all the time. This is what I'm saying is that <laughs> there is there is no moment in anybody's life in which not only do you burst in a song, but then have an entire chorus of people that I come up behind you and all these. Yes. Are, like, this does not happen and. uh nor do unless somebody has found something more recently, uh, giant fishmen from at the bottom of the ocean uh, come up and steal women and bring them back to their caves. That's a little weird. You know, or or you know, uh, you know, nor does Lon Chaney actually turn into a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so in that way, I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, like I mean, you know, these are kind of the two most pure. But we, you still love the exact exaggeration oh, of it absolutely. all because it's almost like the the romance or fantasy of everything yeah that's what it's like for me when i see musicals it's it's so romanticized yeah. for a lot of those things i don't know that like you're just you end up going oh yeah it just gives you the kind of like that ah, yep. feeling. <laughs> and, and i think that's like the the thing that is fantastic about all of those yeah that, that stuff but like um it does make me realize, though, that we should go back and do... We should do a classy, classic I, musical. I would love that. I would a, actually love as that. As a sequel to this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we end on my favorite of the four. Yes. Which is uh, The Apartment. Yes. 1960, directed by Billy Wilder, written by Wilder and I.L. Diamond. I.L. Diamond. 
uh, starring Jack Lemmon as Baxter, Shirley MacLaine as Fran, and Fred McMurray as the big boss, mm-hmm. Sheldon, uh, uh, Sheldon Drake. Uh, this was also your first time seeing this one. This was Billy Wilder's follow-up to Some Like It Hot. Yeah. A movie that we've watched quite a bit together. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite of his. Yeah. It's Some Like It Hot. I love that one. And it, that's one of his best films, but also one of his funniest yeah. <laughs> movies that he ever yeah. made. Because very... now you see where everybody gets that whole thing when they dress up as women in their movies like White Chicks and all those yep. things. Yep. You see where all that came from. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, that is so amazing. All this is where. From this one movie. Yeah, from this one movie. Yeah. So it's just With like, wow. These two unbelievable performances. Yeah. One of them being a repeat player that comes back here with Jack Lemon. Yeah, because she's the man was like that too, but it was yep. in reverse world because, you know, White Chicks was the man becoming women. And, and she's it was the man. The black guys becoming white. Yeah, women. becoming yeah. white women, and then uh, she's the man. Was her becoming a boy to join a soccer team because yep. she didn't like the girl soccer yep. team. She felt like she was like she was more for the boy soccer and, team. And it's always the the same hijinks that ensues with some. And Ladybug, like, Ladybug was that to exist. Yeah. I realized that she's the man came more from Ladybug. Yeah. Did you remember that Roger Jenkins film movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was it was also funny too that they all exist using the exact same. All those some like it hot clones. Yeah. Exist using the exact same thing, which is it's a person or two people who are posing as a different gender and inadvertently infiltrating the other gender yes and what makes and and then having to deal with the hilarity of (laughs) but i like you yes yep yep and that's always the funniest (laughs) bit is when one or two you know i mean with white chicks in particular of course it's the whole thing where terry cruz is the version of the guy that they meet that jack lemon meets that makes him tango all night. Oh, yeah. And get on the boat. He yeah. gets and takes him on his boat. They're <laughs> boat. Yeah. I'm a man. Well, we all have our secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was so hilarious. And then I was like, whoa, okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, so, like, after something like it hot, that movie was so successful. Mm-hmm. In no small part because of the three lead performances. Yeah. Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis. But Jack Lemmon did an amazing job in the apartment because that was more serious. Yeah. That was a little more of a serious role. It was funny, but it was his was a little more serious. And, like, of course, you know, with something like it hot, it's it's him, it's Tony Curtis, it's yes. Marilyn Monroe. Yes. In one of Marilyn Monroe's best performances. Mm-hmm. And um, the, it's all, mostly because it's her most self-aware. Yeah. It's one of her most self-aware performances yeah. when you watch it. That she is definitely playing the, you know, the archetypal, yes. you know, in big air quotes, dumb blonde. Yeah. But there is a self-awareness and a tragedy to that performance that doesn't exist in many of the other ones. Yeah. And then, of course, like you said, Jack Lemmon comes back with this one, reteams with Billy Wilder. But this time he adds the beautiful Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. And has another repeat player from uh, Double Indemnity come back with Fred McMurray. Yeah. But this was also your first time seeing this mm-hmm. one. What, how did you feel about this one? This one was great. I yeah. had actually never even heard of this one until you showed me. It was like, the department. I was like, what is that? And then when I saw it, I was like, wow. Like, this one was really well done. Like, it was really good. I loved the all aspects of it, especially that dynamic. Yeah. Of when he goes to work and he, and, and like to this day, I was like, I would love to see a story about how this all happened. Like, I just yeah. want to see, I know how they told it, but yeah. I now want to see how this all yeah. came about because how do you lend? Like, you almost want to see like the first apartment. Yeah, like the first apartment <laughs> because how do you lend your key yes. 
to yeah. all your supervisors and manager and bosses of that company yeah. just so they can use your uh, apartment as like a Playboy like apartment. Yeah. And it was so wild. I'm like, how did this even? And I get it. He wanted to get ahead at work. But how did that conversation yeah. in that situation come about? Yeah. So I'm all I'm almost like I was like I wish someone had loved to done a little take of that. Yeah. Even if it's not a direct like prequel, I just wish that I would see something yeah. that d- does like some somewhat of a spinoff of how that could have happened. Yeah. I wish I would see something like yeah. that because that was cool. And I was like, what? How did you you know? Well, you know, in this we situation? Were, when we were watching, we were saying that. You know, you could almost remake the movie today with uh, Alden Erdenreich. Uh, uh, Alden, Alden? Yeah, Alden. Uh, why did I just, I can't yeah. say his last name. Uh, all right. You used to call, all, tell me all right. right. Yeah, yeah okay, all right. Sorry. Okay, yeah, and you used so, to tell me. <laughs> and uh, Florence Pugh. Yeah. And those two lead yes. parts, and it would be like, and then you could have Josh Brolin playing the. Yes, uh, the boss. Uh, the boss, the Fred McMurray role. <laughs> yeah. And you would have just this, you could yeah. literally start it with. Who was the first guy? Yeah, and then carry through the rest of the story. Yeah, but um, it, this was like this is definitely the one that I like the most, just because yeah. like I'm a huge Billy Wilder fan. He's mm-hmm. he directed and also co-wrote. He wrote all of his stuff. He did like the movie that I would probably say is like my all-time favorite movie, which is Ace in the Hole. Oh yeah, and that one was great. Too. That's a like to me like the that there's there is no other movie I've ever seen that yeah. quite had that much of a hold yeah. on me, especially because, I mean, I saw it when I was young, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. Going back and watching it, you know, about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. I was like, I've, I've never seen anything <laughs> remotely this amazing before yeah. or since that exists. So, <laughs> but um, after seeing that movie, I went and I sat down, I watched all of his films mm-hmm. and I had seen some like it hot a bunch of times. I'd mm-hmm. also seen, um, uh, weirdly, a movie that he did about Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. uh, uh, called the the life of, the private life of Sherlock Holmes, the life of Sherlock Holmes. Um, I had seen that one actually weirdly a few times because we had that on VHS. Yeah, but I hadn't seen uh, a lot of his other stuff, and that when I sat down watching, the big find for me was the apartment. Yeah, out of all of it, and of course I had seen. Um, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's one and, of my favorites. Like now that your name all of them, I'm like, oh, so many that are my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this one was the big find to mm-hmm. me. In, in part, it was because it is for for a movie that came out in 1960. It is still one of the most relatable films mm-hmm. that I've ever seen. Not like all of us go out wind our heat. You know, that's a very exaggerated metaphor for the entire idea of going above and beyond for a company. Yeah. And that's them just bit. using and abusing like their workers. Yeah. Like and it was so bad because you remember that was like the only way they were like, well, if you take the key away, we, we might not have a spot for you. You yeah. remember? And I was just like, Oh, I was like, this is so disgusting. And, and, <laughs> and you think about how many times that in real life you'll be working at a job. Yeah. And you're, it's the only thing that you're clinging on to, to keep your, your apartment, to keep, you know, your stuff, to mm-hmm. keep your bills. And, you're clinging on to it and you never want to take that wrong step in any which way mm-hmm. out of fear that it could ruin that one little inkling of an idea that you have that you might be able to move up. Yeah, but you know what's so funny about that is that you're right. In that whole situation of that, of the apartment, 
Jack Lemon, he spent so much time doing that. And then you remember at the end, it never even really mattered to him nope. anymore. It didn't even matter. Nope. So it's like, what was all that for? It never yeah. even mattered. Because And, you know, that's part of the whole journey of the story is to realize that it's like, you're more than just your job. Yeah. Like, you're far more than mm-hmm. just your job. Like you, and, does, you are, and is it worth it? Sometimes certain jobs yeah. are not worth um, not, kind of like moving up if that's yeah, what you have to give for it. You yeah, know? It's, it's not worth letting go of yourself yeah. just to move up. No, it's not. And Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond came up with the best metaphor for that, mm-hmm. which is this guy lends out his keys to his superior, mm-hmm. his, his apartment key to his superiors so that they can come and use his apartments to bring all of their affairs. Yeah. And yeah. by the, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, he has a cold. Yeah. He's sick. Yeah. He's, he has like, to wait outside until they're done when he's home. And he's like, I'm, yeah. you remember that was the most like depressing part when he was like, I'm in bed now. Yeah. He's like, I'm in bed. I'm about yeah. to go to sleep. Oh no, it's okay, buddy boy. And then you remember he was like, how can I be fully productive at work tomorrow? How can I give you my best at work yeah. if I'm tired when I go in tomorrow yeah. morning? And they didn't even care. But I'm like, but see, that's the crazy thing that you care about that more than they boss that yeah. than your boss did. Yeah. That's wild. Why do you have to tell your boss, no, I need to get some sleep tonight so I can get up and be productive at your company? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. whoa. And that was that was to me like the craziest thing about it is going back and looking at it and you're just like, This is the the, the wildest thing is like how many times I can't even count how many times I was at my job and I would end up on online until me. You saw it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like I would end up online until one or two o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. helping people. But then the expectation is still pick up at six a.m. Yeah, and you're just like like I was awake till two, but now you still yeah. want me to pick up and, at six. So I've like, only had a four hour window of sleep, and, and it's like you. Everybody knows that I don't. You nobody hangs up the phone that immediately just goes and crashes when they've been no, on the phone. You can take time to go to so sleep. So it, it's like. You know that this person didn't go to sleep until three. Yeah. But then the expectation is I'm going to call you at six and I expect you to be just as effective as you were all day yesterday. Yeah. After three hours of sleep. Yeah. And that the they took like the most absurd premise <laughs> yeah, and turned it into the most beautiful metaphor yeah. for like how absurd it is. And yeah. you see that since 1960, it hasn't changed. No, it hasn't changed because <laughs> no matter the whole point wasn't even the key itself. It didn't matter how ridiculous yeah. that, the uh, premise was. yeah, the premise was, it was what it was about. It was why he was doing it. It was like, how can I be productive in the morning? And then, get a raise and make you notice me if I'm always tired because you use my apartment like 12 and I need to be in bed. Mm -hmm. Like, and he he was even sick and he had to reschedule his apartment around just so all of his bosses can get the apartment on different days on the day he was sick. That is maybe like one of the funniest scenes that can (laughs) easily make you cry. Yeah, Because it is like, I was getting kind of angry. I was like, uh, -uh, the levels levels of, different emotions that you can end up going through watching him do yeah. this starting with you know like can you please just come on this day can you please just come on that day can you put and then it just gets worse and worse yeah. and worse and worse and you're just like there's no way that this is yeah and then that look on his way with the snipples and he's like yeah and he's just trying to pencil everything on his little book schedule that's on his desk <laughs> and i was like oh my this yeah. is like funny that was a good movie though that one was good it, it is like one of uh one of the great kind of films of his kind. Is, is this the earliest Shirley MacLaine movie you've ever seen? Yes, that is the earliest. Because yeah. I think the next one was... 
Oh man, I don't remember the next one. I saw one when she was pretty young, but I don't remember what the next one was. Was she in um uh, what you call it? Um, I'm about to say the wrong thing. Oh. <laughs> I'm about to say the I mean, wrong thing. She's in the original Around the World in 80 Days, if you ever saw that one. Oh. Like the 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 one from like 56. Yeah, but and I'm, then she was in um uh, oh, that's probably the oldest. That's probably the earliest one I seen was still Magnolias. Yeah, I think yeah. that was the earliest one I, I think, seen. I saw the other ones after, yeah. but this was the earliest one I ever seen was still Magnolias. That is, um, I think that that is. It, it is safe to say that that is where a lot of people about our age first kind of encountered. Yeah, the, that was around it because I, I was, was like, I remember, I remember terms of endearment but i don't remember yeah. seeing it of yeah. course i wasn't even born when that came right, out yeah. but i don't even remember seeing it when i was little the old yeah. the earliest one i remember is actually still magnolias because yeah. i i remember that used to come on tbs all the time so i used to see it when i was like seven eight and nine years old yeah and it is uh amazing to go back and look at this movie and realize like that, like she was such a gorgeous yeah like natural beauty but then mm-hmm. on on top of that too mm-hmm you really, really are reminded why she became a star because she is like killing this movie. Like she's giving all of the guys in this movie that she's surrounded by run for their money in terms of her performance. Mm -hmm. Like there, like there are these beats where you can actually see everybody else having a hard time keeping up with her to some degree, mostly because they are all in kind of a, what we would today call a dramedy. Right. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. <laughs> she is in a full scale <laughs> dramatic picture. Yeah. And occasionally says some funny stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like the level of, of intensity that she brings to that role in terms of just how serious and that's she's crazy kind of taking everything. Because I also remember two mules for a sister. But I still saw that way later yeah. than still Magnolia. So yeah, that's why I've I've been looking across everything. Two mules just, for sister Sarah. Uh, yes, yeah. that one. And I, I saw all of these and I'm we, like, oh we, man. We watched that on at my parents' house. Yeah, I know. I remember. Yeah, That's why like I was that. like, I remember all of these, yeah. right? But yes, the last, the most, the one I saw, the earliest one I saw was still Magnolia's. Definitely for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was because I was like, I remember Terms of Endearment too, but I, I don't remember saying that to after still yeah. Magnolia's. Yeah. I think uh, the in terms of those early roles that she did, I mean, it was... Uh, I think she was in Irma Dolce. Yes, she was. Uh, also in the yeah Trouble with Harry. And what a way to go! Those, those were those two in particular. Yeah. B- before the apartment, or you know, and, and like in terms of what stuff that I saw, yeah. seeing those before the apartment. But like the Children's Hour. I don't know that one. Wow! It said it has uh, Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn in it. So we might have to search oh, that okay, one out. Yeah. Okay. I know which movie you're talking about. I've never okay. actually seen that one. So yeah, okay. that would be a good one to go watch. Um. But yeah, so yeah. That this was, but like, I'm, I'm very glad that like in watching this one that you got to, to, uh, see it and enjoy it and, yeah. and all of that. I think that was great. But, I, I really enjoyed that one. It was really nice. I enjoyed that one. But, and those are like some amazing like stories, man. Yeah. The way they put it together. I was like, this is like really cool. When you go back and you rewatch them, that is the one thing you do realize is that the, the writing in them. Yeah. is on a level because one of the things that you also realize too when you go back and rewatch them that I'm always reminded of is the fact that we're so used to watching yeah <laughs> you know like I mean just being honest about it you know it's like there's the there's also a different kind of romantic comedy yeah that came out 
uh, uh, that we have seen quite a bit, which are movies like Knocked Up and Forgetting Sarah Marshall yeah. and kind of kind of the Apatow school of mm. romantic comedies yeah. that are not very written. Yeah, they they are very improv heavy. Yeah, and they that that has good and bad qualities to it. Yeah. Because there is that aspect, looking back at it, that you're just kind of like, some stuff could work, some stuff couldn't, but we're just going to let somebody go and then cut together all the best material. These films that we've been talking about are all written. Yeah. And the the dialogue that they say is dialogue that is memorized. Yeah. It is like, this is, there were writers who sat down and came yeah, up and with all of these were, jokes. Yeah, and they were great actors. And like, worked all the stuff out and gave it off to great actors who were able yeah. to perform all of it. Yeah. But, like, this was not just kind of like, we're going to put the camera in front of Seth Rogen and yeah. wait until we get the one that we like the most Yeah, and cut that one together with yeah. it. Yeah. This was, like, very much like sitting down and really having to write every single one of these jokes and make sure that it balanced out with the next yeah. one. That's what a lot of um, P.T. Anderson movies remind me of. His movies I are that's why I like them closer so much. and closer yeah. to these kinds of films. Yeah. The older he's getting. Yes. Especially looking at Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. Licorice Pizza is his attempt, yeah. <laughs> like him throwing his hat into the arena of movies like Bringing Out Baby and yeah. uh, in particular his Girl Friday. Yeah. It is definitely yeah. him throwing because... You listen to how those kids talk, especially at the beginning of the movie when mm-hmm. they first meet each other. Yep. And that and quippy dialogue back and forth. Yeah. That's why I say it's the, the pace, it's the, the way they do it. The camera is just one shot, yeah. just following them. It's not cutting yeah. back and forth. And, you know, you go back and watch these movies, how much of it was just a shot that had everybody in the frame? It was yeah. like a two shot or a four shot. Like, it was just a shot with everybody in the frame so mm-hmm. you can see everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And the interplay is you cutting with your own eyes yeah. between those two people. Yeah. And you get to choose whoever you want to watch within yeah. them. And you see how he's doing that now. And you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what he's moved toward. Yeah. He's moved toward trying to make movies yeah. that are closer to comedies that were coming out in the 30s and yeah, 40s. Yeah, I mean, they're really solid. That's the yeah. reason why I like them, because they're so solid. Like, yeah. I was like, he has a strong foundation in he which does. he kind of built his movies. That's why I like them, because yeah. they have strong foundations. They're not too, like like you said, loose. They don't, no. they don't feel, they feel very well thought out. They don't feel like yeah. they're just put there for no reason. No, like, not at all. All his scenes seem to matter a lot. So that's why I was like... It, it reminds yeah. me of that kind of detail. I mean, it makes sense too that, you know, he would be doing that. Then, you know, we just heard recently that he's now a volunteer curator for TCM to keep I it know. running properly, which is um, very unfortunate that that's happening right now, but it's a good thing it's in such good hands yeah. and capable hands. Yeah. But uh, it, I do agree because, like, it seems like ever since kind of post There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. he's been moving away from influences of people that were alive through his own lifetime yeah he's been moving you know like there will be blood kind of felt like the last one where that was so heavily influenced by kubrick and yeah, wells but even then and, he still i think he captured like people very oh well. yeah absolutely so that's sort of why it reminds me so much of those films yeah. because those films capture like people absolutely. very well yeah. so i just like that it's a full dynamic character yeah nothing seems um how do you say? Nothing seems uh, 
unnecessary. Like nothing no. seems. Yeah, there's no fat. Yeah, like, there's no. It's very lean. Yes. Straightforward. Yes. His and characters are so chiseled yeah. to me. Like, yeah. and that's how I see those characters in those movies that they're so chiseled. They're yeah. right to the point. They're like yep. a sculpture. Yeah. You know what I mean? While other ones have fat because there's no yeah. real meat to yeah. their characters. Well, you know, it is interesting because uh, uh, when you look at what he's decided to do, how he's moved so far away from characters that are struggling to find something to say yeah with you know movies like when you go back and look at heartache to a degree but especially boogie nights Mm -hmm. magnolia and punch drunk love Mm -hmm. those are three movies with characters that are almost crippled by by the idea of having to speak yeah that they they almost can't yeah and that their their frustration is that they don't understand their voice yeah and like whether it's you know people flying off the handle of Magnolia, like Julianne Moore going like, don't call me lady. Or like, uh, you know, like, uh, you're right. It's almost like he first started off with people who, were who are struggling to communicate to people who could. Cause think and, about and even how he did. There will be blood. Starting with there will be blood. All of a sudden he I'm puts, a competitor. Starting with there will be blood, all of a sudden he puts the two people that are going to be able to speak better than anybody else right up against each other, a preacher and a businessman. Yep. Yeah, a salesman and a preacher, he <laughs> and they're both salesmen. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> he, he puts both of them up right next to each other, and it's like there is no want for words there. Yeah, and they were both salesmen and, in there to me. And then, it's just one was trying to sell business and and oil, while the other one's trying to sell God. Like yeah. it was just it was so and, funny. <laughs> and then you have to me the the master is to me him letting go of that older part with yeah. Freddie. Yeah, like fr- Freddie is kind of the last character he had yeah. that really struggled for his words but his actions spoke a lot it was louder than words well yeah I mean, absolutely <laughs> and, and you know he reminds you more of like dirk diggler yeah, yeah you know where it's like dirk's actions mm-hmm. no pun intended i mean not talking about the <laughs> the actions that he did on yeah. film but <laughs> but you know it's like dirk you know was definitely a character that you know the way that he moved spoke yeah. volumes above like you know no fuck you jack you know yeah. like it, it was like it, just his movement just spoke volumes yeah. beyond that, just like Freddie. Mm-hmm. But again, was up against this kind of figure in his life, yeah, that was able to speak so clearly and eloquently, like yeah. the Burt Reynolds character, yeah. You know, now with him with Lancaster Dodd, yeah. And then starting with Inherent Vice to Phantom Thread to Licorice Pizza, yeah. There's this banter now that does remind you a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like the back and forth banters of those kind of films. That's why I yeah. said I love Bringing a Baby because it was like that back and forth that yeah. just, it was such a mood. Yeah. It was such a tone and yeah. an atmosphere. It was a mood and yeah. I loved it. It's so quippy and kind of upbeat yeah. that it makes you like, it makes you perk up to watch it. That's why I said I loved it. Yeah. I couldn't turn away because I was scared I was going to miss something. Yeah. Like the way they just moved it. So I really love that kind of banter back and forth. Yeah. And that is what he did with Licorice Pizza. Absolutely. <laughs> and he did it in Phantom Thread, too. <laughs> he did. Like, I think Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, and yes. Licorice Pizza, and all three of those, he's kind of done that. And now it seems as though there's a good possibility that Bradley Cooper might be moving into that same arena with Maestro. Oh, that'd be which cool. Which is very exciting, because that yeah. trailer definitely does kind of show you the the notion that this might actually be something a bit closer yeah. to kind of the films that we're talking about here yeah. than uh, than it is necessarily like, you know, your standard biopic, which I'm usually not a fan of. But yeah. I am excited to see this one. Yeah. <laughs> but So those are our four films yes. that we're talking about today. And did you have anything else? No, that's it. 
Well, we'll uh, when we come back, we'll probably uh, be come back with some musicals or something. Yeah. <laughs> Part duh. Part duh. <laughs> but thank you all so much for listening. I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Film Cafeteria. Yeah.